0: I think I said this already, but grace and peace to you all. Welcome to the second Sunday of the Advent season. Okay, I was expecting wild cheering. Welcome to the second Sunday of the Advent season. Okay. Now, it's not the same when I have to beg for it, no. Wait, laugh at all my jokes. Yeah, okay. Dead air. Advent is that time of year the church sets aside to pay particular attention to the birth of Jesus, who we believe to be God in human form, which is amazing. He was born into and he lived out a human life with all the challenges and frailties and joys that the rest of us experience. And here at the Salvation Army's Napa Corps, we are spending Advent examining the problem of Christmas. Christmas. That problem is how we have romanticized and sterilized the whole Christmas story over the years. We've changed it from what it was to something that it just wasn't. What we think we know often turns out on examination to be no more than Christmas fables or song lyrics, which were included more for their meter and rhyme than for their historical accuracy. Which is fine in an artistic sense. Otherwise, we might all be singing... The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, with explosions of screaming full diapers he makes. It just doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? Probably doesn't help that I sing off key either. To really see and understand the amazing earthly incarnation of our God as our Savior, Jesus Christ, we need to know the true details, as best we can make them out, about what actually happened in that story. Because for us to truly know means we can't just see Christmas lights inside of a house somewhere across the street, that seeing that tree through the front window is pretty and all that. But what we really want, we want to be inside the house with the family so that we can celebrate. You can't celebrate from outside. You got to be in. And as part of joining in with that family celebration of the birth of Jesus, we first, a couple weeks ago, learned about two amazing pregnancies that were only possible through God's miraculous intervention. And then last week, we heard about the awkward trip that Joseph and Mary would need to take later on in her pregnancy, and how it resulted in the all-powerful God, the creator of the universe, being born as this vulnerable, helpless infant in this small home, in this village outside of Jerusalem. And they weren't welcomed into the guest apartment, so the new mother did what generations of poor mothers before her had done, and she cleaned out one of the mangers, the little feeding trough used to uh, feed the animals in the house, and she placed her newborn son there on on clean straw and fresh linens. And that's where we're going to pick the story up today. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke 2, verse 8. So if you're following in your Bible, it's about 80% of the way in. There's a table of contents at the beginning. It's okay to look up where the books are. Everyone always worries that they have to know where they are, but you don't. Look it up. Luke 2, verse 8. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. So for thousands of years... There had been men watching sheep in the fertile valleys around Bethlehem. Over the centuries since the temple had been built in Jerusalem, which was about six miles north of Bethlehem, these grazing lands had been dedicated to supporting the flocks that produced the lambs that were required for worship in the temple. And there were a lot of lambs required, because only the firstborn male lamb from each ewe was ever considered as a sacrifice. No lamb was allowed to be used for temple purposes unless it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. No blemishes at all on it. And that was part of the shepherd's job. They had to check these newly born sheep for any flaws. And if they found none, it was their job to keep that lamb safe until it went to the temple for sacrifice. That's why the herdsmen stayed in the fields when their flocks um, were lambing. So they only went and stayed overnight during the lambing season. They needed to be on hand to help mothers with the birth process and to make sure that they could act quickly if anything went wrong. Lambing season was and is, by the way, in the springtime. Springtime. Roughly. Not December, I'm sorry. It was not December. Lambing season was in the springtime. It seems most likely that the census that Joseph and Mary were reporting for would have been concluded in the months before the late spring planting season so that people could go, get counted, and then be home in time to do the work that they needed to do. So because of that, I am very comfortable with the idea that Jesus was actually born in the spring, not in December. In fact, I have his birthday on my calendar as April 11th. Based on several assumptions that can be made about the probable birth year being 5 B.C., according to our calendar dating. Yeah, 5 B.C. 5 before Christ. Yeah. Well, there was a a guy who, uh, when he sat down to calculate the calendar, he made a couple of basic mistakes, left out a couple of years that he should have put in, and so our calendar is not exactly dated from the birth of Christ disappointing. But, hey, we all make mistakes. Our current December celebration is actually based on an idea that people in the church had back in the day about replacing a pagan winter solstice set of ceremonies. There were a whole bunch of of celebrations that happened around this time of year, and they wanted to replace those with more wholesome religious ceremonies. They didn't really know when Jesus was born, so they said, hey, let's celebrate it here. Now, why didn't they know when Jesus was born? Because they didn't care. Back in the day, people didn't care about birthdays. They kept track of when important people died. But when people were born, it didn't really matter. Because until you were uh, 12 or 13, you weren't old enough to count as a person. You couldn't carry your full weight. And so you, you didn't just really, they didn't really pay much attention to childhood. There was no such thing, kind of. Where were we? I'm sorry. Um, Shepherds. Shepherds, that's right. Shepherds were also there to guard against predators because bears and lions were indigenous to the hilly terrain around Bethlehem. Although, quite frankly, by the time we get to the first century, they were pretty rare. Uh, Men had hunted their numbers down, and this growing population in Jerusalem and the increased travel on the roads had driven most of the surviving wild animal population away from that area. Extinction isn't something that just started in the last century. It's been going on the whole time there's been human beings. Two-legged predators, on the other hand, had increased. So we got less bears and uh, wolves, but more people, more thieves. And shepherds were expected to keep thieves from taking any of the sheep. If they lost a sheep, they were responsible for what it cost. So they were very vigilant to make sure that they didn't lose any of their flock. Having so much responsibility for such an important resource, you would think that shepherds would have been considered to be some of the most important people around. And you would think that being a shepherd would have been considered an important job that a lot of people would aspire to. The uh, scriptures have references to God being like a shepherd. And the promised Messiah is described as, as the shepherd of his people. Moses spent 40 years as a shepherd, and he was the most important person in Israelite history at that point. David, the most famous and popular king of Israel, started out as a shepherd. So obviously people love shepherds, right? No, I'm sorry. Actually, shepherds were just about the bottom rung of the social ladder. Um, People were taught that there were certain professions that were to be despised, absolutely hated, and shepherds were one of those. A few of the other jobs on the list of hated professions, camel driver, gambler, usurer, which is a fancy formal name for a loan shark, usurer, and a dung gatherer. Dung gatherer. Yes, someone who, instead of having their animals drop their dung in their house where it would dry out and they could use it for a fuel source, actually went and wandered the fields and picked up dried poop and then brought it in and sold it. These guys were uh, down there almost as bad, but not quite as bad as shepherds in the social order. Tax collectors and bloodletters were totally hated. Absolutely, totally hated. But if you had a choice between inviting a tax collector and a shepherd over to your house for dinner, guess which one you were going to pick? The tax guy, every time. Every time. Now, one of the things that Jesus would do when he was teaching, and this was something that really upset the Pharisees a lot, Jesus referred to the religious leaders as being shepherds of the people. I know. Who would believe that Jesus had it in him to make such sarcastic insults? But yet, he did. See, shepherds were unclean. They were sinners. They were thought to be thieves who grazed their livestock on other people's land and kept the best animals for themselves. And they smelled like sheep all the time. And when you think of sheep, you generally think of cute, woolly little lambs who smell like they've just come out of a bubble bath. That is not real sheep. Real sheep smell like dirt and not the clean kind. Real sheep run around out in the wilderness and they stink. And they didn't have animal baths. You couldn't run to Petco back in the day. Not that they would have. And shepherds had to stay in the fields, especially during lambing season and during mating season. They stayed out there pretty much all the time. Which meant they could not come in and do the ritual washing and ritual cleaning and all the ritual purity things that needed to be done to go to the temple. So they would just skip out. They were the non-church-going religious people. They'd say, oh yeah, I believe in God. I can't do any of the things that he ordered me to do. Because I have to watch my sheep. Since they couldn't go to regular church services or engage in those long purification rituals that other people could... It meant that if those other people spent time with shepherds, they became unclean too. It's a problem with ritual cleanliness. It's very easy to lose it and very hard to gain it. So people avoided shepherds. Which brings us back to our story. Here we've got a whole bunch of shepherds watching over the flocks of Bethlehem on the night that Jesus was born. Luke 2, verses 9 and 10. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. Pretty much every angel has to start that way because they freak people out. Angel just pops up in the middle of nowhere. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Now, like I say, angels are were apparently very scary things to see. Almost every time one shows up, it has to start and say, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And I hate to be the one who punctures your idea of angels as happy blonde women with harps and swan wings, but angels that we hear details about do not look like this. No. Not at all. Angels don't look anything even like stuff we see in nature. What we tend to get are creatures with six wings, eyes all over, heads like animals, multiple faces, and they're so disturbing to even think about that they just frighten people. Yeah, nice like this, this one doesn't have the heads. Generally, they're described as having a head with four separate faces, a human face, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle, and the face of a lion. So put that head on that picture. Now those angels who have more normal descriptions usually look like ordinary men, although they might exhibit some unusual characteristics, like the ability to strike people blind, or to cause food to turn to ash in an instant. That's from Judges. Here, though, we've got an angel from the Lord who appears in the middle of this group of shepherds and sheep while all of them light up with God's glory. That's the way it's described. It just lights up. Why is that a big deal? Well, to people whose idea of streetlights were very small, smoky oil lamps, I imagine that if your dark evening hours suddenly shine like daylight, it's going to be a little unsettling. In fact, it might be... uh, Rather shocking, even without the appearance of an angel in their midst. But you throw the angel in, and they're just totally discombobulated. But the angel, he reassures them. and says, look, i got news. It's good news. It's going to bring great joy to everyone. In Greek, it says, "Pas laos, every people's. The angel definitely has got their attention. Look, I've got good news for every people's. And he goes on to tell them what that good news is. Verse 11. The Savior. Yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Today, this day, right now, the Deliverer that you guys have been praying for has arrived. Not just a Deliverer, the Deliverer. The Messiah Supreme, the Anointed One, who God has promised would come to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords and set His people free. He's here. He's here. Right now. And yes, that's good news. That is good news. It's great news. And to tell these shepherds, look, he wasn't just born anywhere. He wasn't born in some big city miles away like you would expect. He was born right here in Bethlehem. In David's city. And this news lights excitement in their spirits every bit as much as the glory of the Lord has lit the world up around them. Except... They're shepherds. They're shepherds. Now usually when people in small towns hear of a birth, they go visit. They go to see one another. They like to see the new baby. They want to be involved in the, the family life. But shepherds didn't do that. They weren't welcome. Anyone here ever feel unwelcome? And if this child was the Messiah, man, then the parents of such an important person would surely reject them if they tried to visit. A Savior couldn't possibly be for people like them. But then the angel told them something that gave them hope that maybe, maybe, this time would be different. Verse 12. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger Dr. Ken Bailey is a, a historian of the first century in this ancient near east he said the angels anticipated the anxiety and told the shepherds they would find the baby wrapped which is what peasants like shepherds did with their newly born children And furthermore, they were told he was lying in a manger. That is, they could find the Christ child in an ordinary peasant home just like theirs. He wasn't in a governor's mansion. He wasn't in some wealthy merchant's guest room. But he was in a simple two-room home just like theirs. And this was really good news. It was their sign. It was a sign for lowly shepherds. And so the first people to hear about the birth of Jesus outside of his immediate family were a group of shepherds who were the bottom of the ladder of society. It's like God was using this occasion of Jesus' birth to purposely reach out and encourage the most minimalized, oppressed, and poorly treated people in his his, uh, human family. It's like reaching out and saying, let me help lift you up. This is for you. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now, the last word isn't quite right. The Greek doesn't translate to English well. Some translations read, Peace to those whom God has favored. That's a little closer. The word suggests a particular delight or goodwill is being taken. Peace on earth and goodwill to men, says one popular older translation. And by men, it would have meant all humankind, not just male people. That's just the way they spoke back then. I'm getting all Bible geeky, I'm sorry. We'll bring it back here a little bit. What does this thing the angel says mean? Well, who are we told this birth was going to be good news for? everybody good news for all people all people everywhere everyone god has favored all people everywhere everyone with his peace the question then becomes what do we do with that peace and something i'm doing with my peace is i'm trying to dispel the myths about christmas I'm sorry, but people who love the heartless innkeeper, and we've already disproved that there was one. I, I hate to take that away from you, but I just think the real story is so much cooler. And there's another myth that was just dispelled in the verse that just happened, and you might have missed it, and I'm going to bring it up. It has nothing to do with my sermon, but I need to bring it up because I'm uh, a little OCD about these things, and I just feel the need to, to do it. What we've got here is one angel who's doing all the heralding, and the rest of them show up long enough to speak some praises to God. But hark, we do not have any angels singing. Hark, the herald angels say. Angels do not sing in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture are there singing angels. Nowhere. Go ahead. I see the cadet's already looking, and his Bible's looking for his concordance. No, there are no singing angels anywhere in the Bible. These angels speak. They do not Sing. There is an ancient Jewish tradition that the sages had that said, In the beginning of creation, the angels sang when God created the earth, but as soon as sin entered the world, they stopped and they'll be, remain silent until the world is recreated, which is a beautiful story, but really, just there are no singing angels anywhere in Scripture. So, so when did singing start? When did singing start? When did sinning start? Genesis 1. No, wait, hang on. No, Everything was good, then everything was good. Then, no, Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Pretty much, it took a little while. Uh, in, actually, if we go back to those same stages, sin started somewhere around the 100th year after creation. How uh, do they know their Because... Cain killed Abel in the 128th or 129th year after creation depending on how you did the math. But these are all these are all again we're getting into the myths around the stories and not what's actually in scripture. So let me pull us back to our angels. Sorry, I took us away. I wonder what about the sheep made about all the noise and the lights? A bunch of sheep just laying down to sleep for the night and all of a sudden there's like Shouting angels and awestruck shepherds and bright lights. Yeah, right. Whatever. It probably didn't go on nearly long enough for the shepherds because I know I wouldn't want that kind of thing to come to an end. Like seeing multitudes of angels and hearing this one telling me that the Savior has finally come and he's come for people like me, I would think that would just be amazing and I would not want it to ever stop. But eventually the angels seem to have finished their announcements and they returned to their realms of glory. And then in verse 15 says, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Now this must have been quite the challenge. Bethlehem was not a huge city, but still, think about what these guys must have had to do to find the baby. Now I'm guessing after a big announcement like this, Everyone went. I'm thinking there could have been as many as 50, or maybe even more shepherds, and I bet every single one of them's like, uh, "The sheep will just stay here. Let's go. We got to check this out." Maybe there was as few as just a couple of dozen, but probably there were more than 50. And the angels disappear from view, and the shepherds look at each other, and that one guy on the end of the line, you know, the one who always talks first, let's call him Benny. Benny looks at the rest of them and he says. I'm going, who's with me? And they're all up, and they run to town. I'm betting they run. It it might be a mile or so outside of town, but I'm betting they run the whole way because no one is walking after an experience like that. Even I wouldn't walk after an experience like that. And look at me, I obviously haven't run in years. What do they do when they get to town, though? They've got no phones, no internet. There's no central hospital where they go visit to find Jesus. So they must have started doing two things. Remember, it's the middle of the night. And they're shepherds. They must have started shouting in the streets, Hey, did someone have a baby? Hey, did you have a baby? Where's the baby? I'm looking for a baby here. Anyone got a baby? And pounding on doors. Hey! Hey! Hello, did anyone here have a baby? Excuse me, sir, did you have a baby tonight? Can you imagine being a townsperson in Bethlehem when all of a sudden a herd of unclean shepherds comes pounding on your door in the middle of the night asking you, if you just had a baby? You'd probably want to tell them off, but if you're looking out over their shoulder, you see the other 50 guys standing there waiting to hear what you say. So you're probably going to be, uh, A, polite, and B, you're probably going to be curious. I don't know what this crowd is about, but I'm going with them. I want to see what what's going on. So you say, no, no baby here, but let's go next door. I'm already up. Might as well wake up Ted. He won't mind. So we get this mob that's just surging through the town, going from door to door to door to door, to door until at last they find someone who says, yeah, there was a woman who just had a baby here. Why do you ask? Giant, unruly mob of shepherds. And then they would say, well... Okay, you got a baby. Is it in a manger by chance? Pretty strange question for 50 shepherds and a few dozen neighbors to be asking a townsperson in the middle of the night. Or, or any time, really. And finding that baby, and finding that it was in a manger, and that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, just like the angel said, then they say, um, Can we come in for a minute? <laughs> Is that all right? We want to look at the baby. Verse 17, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. So they waited and confirmed the evidence before they said, oh, by the way, we just saw a bunch of angels. Because this is not the story you want to come into town in the middle of the night with. Hi, me and my large unruly mob of shepherds just saw bright lights in the sky and a whole bunch of angels. Yeah, what were you smoking? (laughs) No, I told us there was going to be a baby in swaddling clothes in a manger. You have a baby swaddling clothes in a manger right here, like we were told. Again, just try to picture what's happening here. This crowd of shepherds around this small house all trying to get in to see a baby. Remember, it's just a little two-room house. Probably not even half the size of this room altogether. The neighborhood at this point is all awake because these houses were built like Right next to each other. In fact, in some cases, literally on top of each other. Not unlike San Francisco. And this is a lot of noise in the middle of the night. A lot of noise. And then Benny starts in on his story about the angels and the baby being the long-awaited Messiah, and the homeowners are probably tempted to say, you guys have been with those sheep a little too long. Except, everything about this baby's birth has been weird. Everything. This is really just one more thing. And the shepherds keep on telling their story, and all who heard the shepherds' story were astonished. I bet they were. Because if what these guys are saying is true, then God actually spoke to shepherds. And maybe... What Mary said about the baby being God's is true. And if those things were true, then this little baby, little baby, not even one day old, really might grow up to be the Savior that they were all waiting for. That's hard to believe. But it seems like it might. It might be true. And all of this kerfuffle might have thrown everyone else for a loop, but there's one person who'd already had the better part of a year to come to terms with what was about to happen. Verse 19 says that Mary kept all these things in her heart, and she thought about them often. Now, we all like to believe that Mary was always right there with Jesus, supporting him, training him, training his younger siblings to do the same. But the truth from Scripture is that Mary did not fully understand her son's ministry until much later, after the resurrection. She didn't get it until after the resurrection. But she had all these things swirling around her during his birth, and I'm sure she built up some great expectations about just who and what her son would be. And how much of this night would replay in her mind on that fateful night 30-some years later when her son was arrested and tried and crucified. How much, when she's watching him be led to a tree and seeing nails driven into his wrist, is she thinking, but the angel said... But that's a story for another time. Right now, the baby is here, wrapped in strips of cloth, laid in a manger. And every shepherd from the temple fields has examined him. Now, what's their job? They examine the firstborn lambs to see if they're perfect for sacrifice. And after they saw the baby... Verse 20 tells us, The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. It was just as the angel had told them. So, what's the true Christmas story so far? We've got a baby born to an unwed mother to be raised in a house with parents who cared more for God's instructions than man's opinions. The birth of that baby is heralded by an angel which Uh, praises God, and those praises are shared by armies of heaven, and they announce this not to kings or to rulers or to priests, but they announce it to shepherds, who are the lowest among them. And then the baby was examined and approved by the people who declare sacrificial lambs acceptable. See, God arranged for everything so that His Son would be a message to those who feel left out or ostracized. It's his message that says, I love you. You matter. You have every bit as much value as your rich neighbors do. You are all my children. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to everyone who listens to it. That good news is that Jesus is born. So who are the shepherds among us? Who among us does the world see as untouchable? We are them. We are no better and no worse. Addicts, homeless, prostitutes, the unwelcome, the broken people, those who spend their time among those the rest of the world sees as lost. That's us. That's all of us in one way or another. We are the shepherds. Do you want to hear what God has told his messenger to pass on to you? I bring you good news that can bring great joy to all people all people all people homed or unhomed clean and sober or in the depths of addiction straight or gay living in sin trying to be righteous male and female tall or short happy or miserable jew or gentile i bring you good news that can bring great joy to all people all people Want to know the good news? The Savior, the Messiah, the Lord was born that day in Bethlehem, the city of David. And he came to deliver us all. If you're alive, take a breath. If you just took a breath, he came to deliver you. Those ancient shepherds had to go to Bethlehem to find their deliverer. We get to find them all around us. You can find him at this place of prayer up here if you wanted. You can come and kneel before God as a sign that you want to know his love, you want to know his healing. You could come and kneel as a, a way of giving yourself back to God, giving yourself back to that creator who loves you so much he was willing to be born into the most humble of circumstances so that you could know he wants nothing more than you, wherever you are, whoever you are. Don't wait for Christmas to give yourself back to God. Give God the present of you right now. I'm going to pray. We're going to play some music. If you wish to avail yourself of this place of prayer or if you need someone to pray with you, come and do so. Grab one of us in uniform. We'll be happy to come and pray with you. But let's talk to God. God, thank you. Thank you that you love us. The world makes it so hard to recognize that we are lovable sometimes, but God, you care about each and every one of us no matter who we are, no matter where we are in this world, no matter what our choices may have brought us to or what other people's choices have pushed us to. God, thank you so much for Jesus. And thank you for bringing the message in such a way so that we can recognize when we know the true story that you were reaching out for us. The outcasts, the people on the fringe, the people who are part of society as well. Each and every one of us has our place and our message from you. Don't let us miss it. Help us remember to celebrate you in this Advent season as we come closer and closer to Christmas and we celebrate for once and for all, for the year, this birth of Jesus, the most amazing gift ever given. Thank you, God, for your gifts to each of us. In the name of that same Jesus, we pray. Amen.